You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Again, today we're talking about this new mini-series titled Finding Jesus in Between Legalism and Liberalism. Although these terms, legalism and, and liberalism, mean two completely different things and contain different principles, they share this one fundamental thing in common. They will both lead you and bind you in chains. They both bind you. Neither of them allow you to truly live in freedom. Legalism and liberalism both bind you. How many of you know that God's intent is not for you to live in chains? Come on, somebody. Legalism tends to bind you to your standards, your traditions, and and you're not able to say as a follower of Christ that I am living in freedom. That question last week that, that, that my mom, whenever she came in and preached last week, she asked the question, and I loved it so much, when she said, are you free? And I can't help but feel like there's many Christians today that state claim that they are free, but they are indeed living in chains. And they're either bound by legalism, things and commands that Jesus never said, or two, they're still living in sin in saying that they're following Christ. Liberalism. Neither of these things are of God, and they both are battles that the church has fought against since the church's conception. Since the church's beginning, we we read letters from the Apostle Paul addressing both categories. To one congregation that is rooted, uh, rooted in Jewish law and practice, they are still struggling with legalism and the attempt to attain salvation through works, tradition, and religious practices apart from relationship with Jesus. And Paul addresses this. On the other side, you have Paul writing letters to address the, the churches that are those who are kind of founded by the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And you'll find that these Gentiles are claiming that they're Christ's followers and they're still engaging in idol worship. And they're still living, although they claim that they have Christ as their Savior, they're still living as if they did not. And Paul addresses both of these categories beautifully. Why? Because church, how many of you know we're human? Can we admit that we're a little messed up? Turn your neighbor and say you're messed up. I, I just, there was a time and era in church that I grew up in where everybody acted like they had it together. Can we put to death those days? Come on, somebody. Can we just put to death those days where we feel like we're, we're, that we're sinless and remind ourselves that we are sinful and in need of a Savior? And so because we're human and because we have a tendency to overcomplicate things and and fall short, we therefore have struggled with legalism and liberalism for a long, long time. And in the midst of this struggle, you have Paul who ministers to both categories, never becoming exactly what they are, but influencing them. And therefore, he's able to say this in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. He says, therefore, I declare to you 
today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. The NLV says it a different way, but similar message. It says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. It is my heart in prayer as a Christian that someday when I lay on my deathbed, then I am able to say, God, whoever I was around, whoever I influenced, if they aren't following you, that's because it's their choice I preached, I influenced. And Paul ministers to both of these categories, and yet he's still able to walk away and say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't succumb to with the Gentiles in the way that they lived. I, I didn't become liberal in my thinking and in my mentality. And likewise, he says, I didn't become bound by the law so much so that it pulls me away from the love and freedom that I have in Jesus. Paul says, I'm, I was able to balance both of these out in such a manner that I can sit here and say that, Lord, if they're not following you, it's not because they didn't hear the gospel message. Paul is able to minister to both categories, and he says, I've preached the word of God to all. You have to understand that Paul speaks to government officials, Jews, Gentiles, women, Greek philosophers, and kings, and the list goes on and on. He preaches at synagogues, riversides, prisons, homes, marketplaces. Paul even speaks in Athens, and I love this. He sees a pagan altar that says to an unknown God, and Paul, rather than shrinking away saying, oh, that doesn't go along with my beliefs or my traditions, he takes their pagan altar and uses it as a sermon illustration. You know that altar over there to the unknown God? He has a name. I love Paul's style of preaching. Paul ministered to all kinds of people in every location, people from many different beliefs and brought many to Christ in such a way that at the end of his life, he's able to say, if anybody isn't following Christ that was in my sphere of influence, it's because they chose to not follow him, not because they didn't know. So this week, we're focusing on the side of legalism. Next week, we're going to be focusing on the side of liberalism. And can I challenge you to come out next week? Because if all you do is like attend this week and you miss next week, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be like, this feels kind of incomplete. That's because it is. It's a two-part series for a reason. And so I challenge you, if you're here today, come back next week so that it makes a little bit sense in its completeness. Otherwise, you're going to walk around in a world of confusion and backslide, and your house is going to burn down, and it's going to be horrible. That's not that I'm trying to guilt you or anything. We're focusing on legalism. So what is legalism? And how does it stand in the way of my relationship with Jesus? Legalism, here's a few different definitions. Legalism is keeping external laws without a submitted heart. Luke chapter 16, verse 14 through 18, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. 
going through the motions and, and thinking that that is what matters to God. Friend, I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but did you know that you can have perfect church attendance and still go to hell? Legalism is going through the motions without it ever impacting your heart. And ultimately, I've met too many parents who say, you know what? I I raised my children in church and they still fell away. Well, friend, that's because they went through the motions, but they were never taught to attach their heart. Legalism is adding human roles to God's and counting them as divine. Jesus addresses the Pharisees for adding their traditions to the law. The irony is, is that the law was created for our benefit. The law of Moses, the law was meant, the Ten Commandments and beyond, and what you read throughout Leviticus was actually intended not to bind us, it was actually intended to free us so that we could live in right relationship with God. But then man's humanity steps in, takes this law, and uses it to approve of his own righteousness. Wow! What kind of grace does God give us? Amen? That we would take the very law that he gave us so that we could have relationship with him and we flip it and use it to approve of ourselves. Adding human rules to God's and counting them as divine. It's what the Pharisees did. They weren't just content with the law of God. They had to add to it. Legalism is making personal preferences doctrine. I want to list a few examples of things that are personal preferences being doctrine, but I don't want to hang out here and get too specific because honestly, if you struggle in any of these areas, the second that I mention them, we're going to focus on that, and that isn't the point this morning. Modern examples of legalism, making personal preferences doctrine include, limited to, but you know, this isn't a complete list, Various fashion trends, not only clothing choices, but I'll throw in piercings in there as well. Styles of music, even styles of worship music. You know, I got done, whenever I was a worship leader at our, at our last church, I had got done leading a, a, a worship on a Sunday morning, and, and we had done a more contemporary worship set that morning. And please understand my heart for those uh, hymn lovers in the room. I love hymns. They bless me. I love the theology in hymns. But I had a lady who approached me and she said, Pastor, you're never going to experience revival unless you sing a hymn. I'm not sure what book that's found in. Um, but God bless her heart. I understand that she was communicating something. She was communicating to me without saying that there was a time in her life where a hymn ministered to her and it meant something to her and brought her to Christ. And she wants everyone else to have that same experience. That was her heart. But friend, if we start putting stipulations on God and say, unless he, we, do, we do this, then this won't, I, it is a dangerous path. Making personal preferences, doctrines includes music, sanctuary and church decor, the degree that Christians participate in various holidays, Christians' choices of social gatherings and settings. There was a time in the church when dancing was considered a sin. 
As a matter of fact, and you know, therefore, I guess David was out of luck because he did some weird things dancing too. There was a time in church when, when we were so legalistic that dancing was considered an ultimate sin. And I met a man who actually, he was so bound by legalism and this law that isn't biblical when it comes to dancing that he refused to dance with his daughter at her wedding. And years after her wedding, he sat in a service where the pastor preached on a topic like this. And he walked up to the pastor and said, what do I do now? The moment's gone, the family's rejected me because I took a hard stance on this. And all you could do is offer the guy to say, go to your family and apologize. Legalism damages, and legalism binds us to things that are not of God. There was a time when going to the movies and bowling was considered sinful. People that struggle with legalism ultimately believe that to break one of their personal preferences is, is to commit a damnable sin. In church, it's just not. We all have our preferences, amen? And what I'm talking about here this morning does not mean that we are excluded from the fact that we need to live holy lives. We're not kicking holiness out of the church today. We're going to talk more about that next week. Come back next week. Legalism is the false idea that unity means uniformity. The Bible talks about how the fact that we're all created differently, amen? Thank God that we all, as a matter of fact, we're so created differently that the Holy Spirit moves in different ways through us. It's why we need one another, because some people operate in gifts of the Holy Spirit that others do not, and therefore, we're the complete body of Christ when we're together, and those gifts can be expressed in a variety of ways, Amen. Legalism says everyone, however, it says everyone must have the exact same likes and dislikes, preferences and passions that you have, or they do not belong and or they are sinning. And legalism is dangerous because legalism, for one, it adds to God's word or misinterprets his word. Most individuals that I've met who struggle with legalism always have a scriptural reference it. Nine out of ten times, it's from Leviticus. But even beyond that, I've heard many Christians from both sides, legalistic or liberal, who take Scripture. And friend, can I just say this, and I'm not going to hang out here today because this isn't the point of this sermon. Satan knows Scripture. He tried to get Jesus to sin by quoting God. The thing that Satan does is he leaves little fundamental principles out of that scripture. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's what he did to Adam and Eve. Can I challenge you? Read scripture in context. Legalism is dangerous because it focuses on winning arguments over winning people. 
Legalism says, I I don't care where their eternity stands as long as I win this stance. As long as they see things my way. Legalism is dangerous because Jesus' works of righteousness are replaced with your works of righteousness. Legalism is often used by someone to try and secure their faith in Jesus without ever realizing that that was secured on the cross of Jesus Christ. That would have been a great place to say amen. Legalism is dangerous because legalism destroys unity. How can we be united when we're focused on everything else but Jesus? Legalism is dangerous. Can I, can I just put it like out there straightforward? This isn't too deep of a theological point, but I just want to say this. Legalism is dangerous because legalism destroys fun. Anybody that I've ever met who struggles with legalism is the most boring, miserable person to be around. I'm just saying. Like you talk about the joy of the Lord and they're like, it would be better if... Lighten up, bud. Legalism destroys fun. Often we interpret fun as a sin. You know, if you, I'm about to use an example here in a moment. And if you are one of the individuals who fall into this category under this example, please understand that I did not know. I just, I'm using this example because I figure no one here comes from this background. But if you happen to be that person, Lord, unless your spirit goes before me. I grew up where one of my friend's families canceled birthday parties. Right? It's a birthday party. It's cake. Canceled birthday parties because they said it was humanistic and worshipped man. Their kids are so damaged to this day. Friend, fun isn't a sin. Amen? Fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's okay to have fun. And while we're on the topic, I just want to encourage the church that if there are things that the world does to have fun and you're not happy with it, can you please do me a favor and replace it? For example, we all know what people do when they turn 21. No. Okay. All right. If you're, if you're in that realm of innocence, then I'm not going to ruin it for you. If you don't want your kids going out and drinking when they're 21... Rather than being miserable and condemning them to hell if they do it, why don't we sit back and replace it with a good alternative? Now, it may be because I'm a little bit of a redneck, and this is what worked for me, but we had a motto in our family of something else that you get to do when you're 21. 21, get a gun. And I was perfectly fine with that replacement. It was awesome. Legalism destroys fun. Did you know that Jesus had fun with his disciples? Following him, being with him, going camping like they always did was fun. 
Legalism is dangerous because we lose sight of our mission. God's called us to do work. When we're bickering over these minute details that have nothing to do with somebody's eternity, then ultimately we're missing our mission. Legalism is dangerous because legalism blocks our ability to witness. How can I welcome somebody into my sphere? How can I love on somebody when I'm keeping them at arm's length saying, no, 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 you have to be a certain way for me to minister to you? If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is where we're going to be studying for the remainder of our time here together this morning. You have to understand how impressive it is, impressive it is that, that Paul says, I've ministered to both categories effectively. Because Paul, you know, most scholars would agree that, that Paul had a nickname before his conversion. That he was referred to as the Pharisee of all Pharisees. If anybody knew what it was to be bound by the law, it was Paul. How did Paul minister to the Jewish people who are bound by law and not become like them? How many of you would agree that's impressive? And likewise, how did Paul minister to Gentiles who are not bound by law, indulging in sin and saying, hey, we can do whatever we want because his grace is big enough, and yet Paul never took on that mentality? Paul followed Jesus' example, and that's what we're going to be talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. 19 through 23. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am weak with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. I want to talk about what this scriptural passage means. And I first want to say this. When Paul is saying, I become like, he's not literally morphing into this other person of a different belief system. He's doing the opposite. How do we find the middle where Jesus is? How do we find Jesus in the middle and, and lead others to him in the middle of legalism and liberalism and make sure that we're not tipping towards one end or the other. Following Paul's example, number one, serve others like Jesus would serve them. 
Paul says, even though I'm free with no master, meaning I don't have to witness to people, I don't have to go after them, I am not going to be condemned to hell if I don't do this thing. Paul says, but you know what? With that freedom, I have become a slave to people, to many, to reach them for Christ. It's him saying, I've gained this freedom in Christ and I want to tell others about it because I love Jesus and therefore I want to love others. Friends, you cannot say that you hate people and simultaneously say that you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, then the evidence of that love will be that you love and serve other people. Paul says, when I see people, my reaction is that I focus on what they need over anything else. I focus on serving and meeting people where they are and not where they should be. This could be meeting a physical need, financial, emotional, performing a simple act of kindness, whatever it may be. Paul says, I understand that I am not bound by a law under penalty of eternal damnation to do these things, but because I love Jesus and want others to love him, I serve people. I become their servant seeking to meet their needs. And notice that Paul says, all people. I become a slave to some? No. Paul says, I become a slave to all people. Friends, legalism is exclusive. Serving like Jesus is inclusive. The law would have nothing to do with people that are unclean according to traditions and customs and commandments before Christ. But now we have a freedom where you and I get to reach the unclean. Are you serving others like Jesus does? I mean, honestly. Let, let me ask you this. What do the people look like who you welcome into your home? Do they look just like you? If you say, yeah, they look just like me, then friend, there might be a, a little stipulation there that says, before I welcome somebody into my home, they have to be like this cookie cutter person. Do you serve like Jesus? Do you have open arms like Jesus? Or is there a list of stipulations that you have before you'll minister to somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we find the middle in between legalism and liberalism where Jesus is? Follow, number two, follow Christ above others. Notice that Paul, he, he says, I obey the law of Christ. Throughout this passage, Paul is talking about living like a Jew among Jews, and what he means by that is he's respecting their traditions, he's respecting their law, he's respecting their convictions, but he's not embracing them and living according to them, living any differently than he would in Christ. The point is that Paul was willing to forego traditions and familiar comforts in order to reach any audience. This passage does not mean that we are to compromise with the world in order to fit in for the sake of witnessing. Amen? Amen. That is not what the passage is talking about. Paul did not violate God's word to reach others. He didn't take on their way of life. As a matter of fact, he stepped into their way of life. Paul's talking about how I stepped into where the Jewish people were. I stepped into where the Gentiles were and introduce them to Jesus. As I mentioned before, it's, it's one of my top favorite stories 
in the Bible is when Paul, in order to, to reach the Greeks, stood in front of their pagan idol and used their very idols to gain their attention and then begins to lead people to Jesus. I just love that so much. Have you ever seen, I, I knew an evangelist who did this once in, in 21st century. Have you ever seen those religious stickers on the back of car, uh, cars that say coexist? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. This evangelist would take the sticker and he would show all the religions. You can try out every single one, but ultimately it ends with a cross. I love that. I love taking what the enemy meant for evil and pointing it towards Jesus. Can I tell you a dream that I have with Halloween? Some of you are like, ah. legalism. Um, anyways. I would love it if around Halloween time, if it became a time where the church sought the Holy Spirit. And it became a time in the fall where our world knew that that's the time when those Christians are seeking the Holy Spirit. I love taking what the enemy meant for evil and using it for God's glory. Paul takes a pagan altar, an idol, that's commemorated towards demonic spirits. And he says, that unknown God, his, na his name is Jesus, and begins to preach. I love that methodology. Church, he didn't become like the pagans, sharing in their belief system. He stepped into their world and brought Jesus. Paul, another time in Acts chapter 22, is speaking to Jewish people under the law. And in order to gain their respect, he tells them about his education under a highly esteemed Pharisee. And then he preaches Jesus. Paul didn't compromise. He always brought Christ, whether he was with a Jewish crowd or a non-Jewish crowd, a crowd that was more liberal or a crowd that was more legalistic. He always brought Jesus with him. Do you have the same ability to be around a variety of different groups and people without becoming like them? Do you have that same empowerment that you don't have to live like them in order to reach them? Do you have the ability like Paul to respect them, find common ground, and share Jesus? If not, then church, your desire to bring Jesus to others must be greater than your desire to fit in always. Your desire to bring Jesus to others must be greater than the desire to fit in. If you struggle being around different people that are different from you, and you say, Pastor, I can't help but become like them, then friend, it's just a matter of desire. Your desire has to be greater with Jesus than it is to fit in. If you want to follow Jesus, and, and church, this goes this goes both ways because I often find that those who are stuck in legalism are often stuck in a legalistic clique, trying to gain approval of this group of people. If you want to witness like Jesus did, then in that context as well, your desire to be like Jesus, your desire to bring Jesus to others must be greater than the desire to fit in. How do we find Jesus in the middle and lead others to him? Number three, meet people where they are and not where you want them to be. 
Verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. And we're going to talk about verse 22 next week, by the way. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything that I can to save some. This is Paul's pattern to meet people where they are and bring them where they need to be with Jesus. He finds common ground that they have and he moves from that point. It doesn't matter what their religious background is or what kind of walk of life they come from. Paul finds common ground and tells them about Jesus. How often do we desire for people that we minister to to look a certain way? How often do we use that as a way of getting out of ministering to them? Well, pastor, based on their exterior, they weren't interested. Can I tell you that here, what what I have found, those who have the most, the toughest exterior have the most fertile hearts ready to receive Jesus. We often want someone who doesn't know Christ to be served to us on a silver platter. And we'll say things like, well, it wasn't the right time. If, did you test that theory? Friend, I'm telling you, the harvest right now is just so ripe. I'm hearing stories of people from this church going out shopping and ending up leading others to Jesus. I, 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 can, I can tell you story after story here this morning of how our world is desperate to hear about a relationship with Jesus. Don't keep the lost away from you because they don't look like you. If you're going to be a shepherd and feed his sheep, just like he told Peter, then as we talked about a few weeks ago, you need to be prepared for the smell of sheep. Worship team, y'all better get up here. How do we find Jesus in the middle and lead others to him? Number four, put others first. Put others first. Put them before your preferences. Put them before your ideas of what they should look like, how they should behave. I remember in our last youth ministry, based off of this biblical principle, we used to have a motto, you belong here before you know how to behave here. And that means that there's a time in our youth ministry where we had some kids who, I'm telling you, they were fresh out of juvie and into our youth ministry. And there was a time where we understood, okay, we're going to give a grace period, where there's going to be a certain amount of time that we're going to give this student. We're going to show them love. They're going to, they're going to belong here before they know how to behave here. And eventually, we had to have the discussion of like, hey, man, you can't speak constant cuss words at church. It just doesn't go together. But through loving them up to this point, we had access into their lives. We had permission to say the most difficult truths because it was built on a bridge of love for them. Put others first. Put them before your preferences. Put them before your idea of what somebody should look like in order for you to minister to them. Paul says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Legalism is putting your preferences before people. Church, put people.
people first. Putting others first, it always sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? That sounds really good. Yeah, pastor. But then there comes a moment where somebody who, I'm just cutting through the soft stuff today, somebody who looks like they're in a gang (laughs) appears before you. And now it's time to minister to them and we're remembering that whole, oh man, what's that biblical principle? Oh yeah, welcome everyone, love everyone. And and then it then comes that point in time where it's time to live that out. It's time to set aside your personal preferences. And it's intimidating and it's difficult. And sometimes we stop the process of witnessing right here because we're like, oh, pastor, I I, I just, I I didn't want to keep moving forward because I wasn't confident. Church, that's the point. In your weakness, his Holy Spirit moves in such a greater way that it goes beyond anything that you could ever do. So when you feel weak, when you feel intimidated, that's the perfect time to talk about Jesus. Because that's when the Holy Spirit begins to move. Putting others first for the sake of the gospel means that you will not speak at them. You will speak with them. Putting others first means that you try and understand them before trying to be understood. You see, most of the time, you won't know where people are in life until you know where they've been. If you want to minister to them, can I, can I challenge you this week, church? Find somebody to reach for Jesus. And before you begin to introduce Jesus, ask them this question. What's your story? What's your story? Where have you come from? What have you been through? What was your upbringing like? Find out where they are in life. Find that common ground and then go from there. Are you leading others to Christ or are you yourself bound by legalism? It's something that we've all struggled with. You either have struggled with it, you're currently struggling with it, or you will struggle with it. It's just our human nature. I want to ask you the same question that was asked here last week as we come to our close. Are you free? Like honestly, are you free? Or have you come to this horrible misbelief that in order to follow Jesus, you are bound and out of your guilt and shame from the sin that you've come from, you have to go through all of these rigid rules trying to earn your salvation, trying to earn that right that says, finally, I'm worthy to receive. Friend, you just have to determine in your heart right now that you're never going to be worthy in the sense that you're never going to be able to come to a point where you say, I've earned this gift of salvation. And that is a testament to just how good he is. Because even though we aren't worthy, he still welcomes us in and says, through my son Jesus, you are now made worthy. What grace. 
Are you still going through the motion bound? Following Jesus out of guilt and condemnation rather than following him from a place of freedom that says I get to and not I have to. Are you free? And I'm here to, and if you say, Pastor, like I'm, I'm good with that. Legalism really isn't a struggle in my life right now. Then let me ask you the other topic, that, about the other topic that we discussed here this morning, witnessing. How's your witness? Are you reaching lost for Jesus that don't look like you? You know, Kendall, I don't think we're going to have time to go over that story this morning, but Kendall has this testimony of a young man who recently lost his life from an overdose. And he would not step into a church until he gave up smoking. Church, we need to reach people who don't look like us. I'll never forget my father posting one of the most controversial church signs that I think you can have that said liars, adulterers, addicts, drunkards, abusers, welcome here. And that needs to be our attitude as a church, that we're willing to love on those who don't look like us. The fact that a young man lost his life to an overdose when he could have come in and heard about Jesus, but he was too afraid of what people would think about him with a cigarette in his hand. That's not the church that Jesus had in mind when he died on the cross. He had something better, amen? Would you stand with me? I'm gonna ask that you'd bow your heads, close your eyes. And I first want to ask this, I first want to throw it out there that if you're here today, I want to ask you if you know Jesus, do you know what it's like to live in freedom and know Jesus? To not be bound by guilt and shame and condemnation and sin. Do you know what it's like to just have this sense of identity knowing I belong because he's made me a new creation. You know what it's like to go through life. You know, just recently sitting down with another brother in Christ, we're, we're sitting there and they, they made this comment. They said, I didn't know that life could be this good. And what they were referring to was knowing and following Jesus. Friend, do you have that sense in your life where you're looking around this world and you're like, I didn't know that it could be this good because I have Jesus. Do you have hope this morning? Without anybody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, because everybody has a right to privacy in this sacred and holy moment, I want to ask you, if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you don't have that sense of belonging and knowing, and you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity to know him, to find out that this is for real. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask if that's you to just lift your hand up and put it right back down. And please, I want to tell you something before you do that. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you step out into the aisle or even come up front. Raising your hand is just so that I know kind of like who I'm talking to. I'm not going to come up after this service and embarrass you. And please understand that when you raise your hand, you're not signing up for church membership. 
we're talking about right now is purely, do you know Jesus? This is about your salvation. This is about someday when you breathe your last breath knowing that you're going to step into eternity, not only because you made a decision to invite him into your heart, but you made a decision to live for him. Without anybody looking around here today, if that's you, would you just slip a hand up and put it right back down? I see your hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. You can put it right back down. I see those hands. Is there anybody else here today you say, Pastor, I want that confidence? Or maybe you're here today, and let me throw this out. Maybe you're here today. And today's more of a rededication moment because you're like, Pastor, I've been doing salvation wrong. I've been trying to earn it. I've been trying to just go through the motions. I've been trying to make sure that my perfect church attendance causes God to save me. I've been trying to make sure that living according to these rigid biblical principles, but not having Jesus, a love for him in my heart, I've been doing it the other way. And if that's you here today, I want to give you an opportunity to rededicate your life and do it the right way and the freedom that he has for you. And if that's you here today and you say, Pastor, like I feel like I've been trying to do this in a legalistic way and I'm ready to be set free. I'm ready to experience true freedom in Christ. If that's you here today, would you slip a hand up and put it right back down? See those hands? You can put them back down. I see those hands. So I'm going to ask church if you'd repeat after me. And if this is your first time committing your life to Christ, or maybe your second, or maybe this is rededication, the Lord knows. I want you to understand that I'm going to ask you to, to repeat after me, but I want you to understand that if you mess up the words, it's all good. Because like we talked about here this morning, it's all about your heart. And likewise, if your heart truly doesn't mean repentance, to turn away from sin and to live for Christ, if your heart doesn't desire that, you could repeat this prayer a thousand times and it's not going to save you. It's all about your heart. So if you mess up the words, it's all good. And church, I'm going to ask that you repeat after me as well so we make sure that nobody feels left out. Would you repeat after me? Would you say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Help me to live in freedom without guilt or shame. Help me to love you more and more each and every day. I welcome you into my life as my Lord and Savior. I live for you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for those who have given their hearts to Christ for the first time? Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Church, let's walk out of these doors free today. Amen. Let's walk out of these doors. We don't follow Christ out of guilt and shame. We follow Christ because we love him. We follow Christ for what he's done for us. We don't follow Christ trying to earn this. We never could. We follow Christ not because we're good. We follow Christ because he's good. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads one more time as I pray? And we're going to close out this service today by singing this song. It says, all of my traditions, all my religion, break it down, Lord Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over each and every individual here today. Father, if we have been bound by legalistic, uh, pharisaical rules and regulations, I pray that today would be the day that all of that falls to the wayside. 
May we walk in the freedom that you died for. This is the freedom that you died for. You didn't die so that we could walk in guilt and condemnation, Lord Jesus. Now I pray today for those who are here and they've been bound by legalism. May that demonic curse and lie be broken today in Jesus' name. May this be the day that we go from existing to living. And Father, likewise, may we never abuse the freedom that you've given us. But as Paul said, may we always be obedient to Christ out of love. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen. And if you're expecting great and mighty things to be done, would you give him one more shout of celebration this morning? Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Worship team, would you lead us in this chorus? Church, would you sing this with us as we close out today? This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.